I don't know about you, but I am thankful that God always keeps his promises. Amen. Especially concerning our finances. I would like to hear some more promises about how God feels about my finances today. How about you? That makes at least four of us. So uh, how many of you would like to hear more about what the word of God has to say about our finances? I, I realize that when you announce that you're going to be preaching, teaching on the topic of finances, people get a little fearful. You know, they start to think, well, are you just going to hit me up for money? Nope. My wife was very sincere and honest when she said what she did about our approach to your finances. We want you to be radically blessed. And if you want to be radically blessed, just say, that's me. And I want that for you. And so the reason why we talk about finances, first and foremost, is because the Bible talks a lot about finances. Did you guys know this? Like the reason why we preach about money is because Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah, the savior of our souls has a lot of sermons on the topic of finances and material possessions. If it reads that way in your Bible, just say amen. Amen. Uh, I mentioned this last week, you know, Robert Morris, an incredible pastor, Gateway Church uh, out of Texas. He's written a couple of books. Um, the newest one being Beyond Blessed, I've been inspired by that book throughout this sermon series, all the material I'm sharing with you guys, some of which was inspired by that book. But in his first uh, book on finances, which is called The Blessed Life, how many of you have read that? It's, if you haven't, will you please read it? Like seriously, please read it. If you're like, I would love to read it, but I have no money. I will literally buy you a copy. Just come up to me afterwards. I will find you a copy somehow, some way. Because when Allison and I went through that book for the first time, our income doubled in like 60 days. Because we began stewarding our money in a biblical way, the way that God has prescribed. So if you've read that book, I'm sure it has changed your life. But in that book, he says over 500 times in the Bible, Scripture talks about prayer. Over 500 times in the Bible, Scripture talks about faith. And over 2,000 times in the Bible, Scripture talks about money and possessions. So it's pretty important to God how we manage our money and our material possessions. Would you guys agree? So much of how we manage our money reveals what's happening in our hearts. It's so true, man. Uh, I, I love the statement that if I want to know what you really love, what you really care about, all I need is your bank statement. It's getting quiet already. Come on, you guys got to stay with me on this, 9.30 a.m., okay? Because today, uh, we're going to dive just a little bit deeper, and uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to teach, really, on the topic of straight and narrow stewardship, okay? So if you're, if you're writing down a title in your notes, it is straight and narrow stewardship. And uh, as we get started, I just want to invite you, open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture, verse 24. You guys will all know this verse of Scripture. It's very familiar. It is somewhat haunting. <laughs> you, you read it and you get confronted, right? How many of you know that we don't just read the Bible, the Bible reads us? And this is one of those passages of scripture that just has a way about leaping off of the page and drop kicks you in the heart. Yeah, in a good way for sure. Uh, or it could be in a bad way, you know, if you're living against the grain of God's truth. 
So Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says this, no one can serve two masters. Have you heard this before? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. All right, last part. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let's say that last part all together. You cannot serve God and mammon. So I want to kick off here with a little introduction on Matthew 6 and 24. I'm going to tie it together at the end, so guys, stay with me. But the introduction here, I just want to talk a little bit about what Jesus meant by this portion of his sermon on the mount. We oftentimes forget about the fact that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is all the same sermon. And, uh, you know, looking at it through the lens of good preaching, some of us would say this was a really bad sermon because Jesus hits like 54 points, you know? But he just preaches a long message, and in Matthew 6, he starts talking about money. And he inserts this one point here, not just about money, but about mammon. And a lot of the modern translations, when you read Matthew 6, 24, they take the word mammon and exchange it for the word money. But it's not actually the same thing. And that's why the word mammon has lasted as long as it has in a majority of our biblical translations. Because mammon was actually an Aramaic word, which translates out well as money, but literally means treasure or riches. Everybody say treasure Treasure. or Or riches. riches. All right. So that's what mammon literally means. It means treasure or riches. But Jesus used the word mammon on purpose rather than just money. I believe the reason for that is because money is not good or bad. Money just is. Money is an object. Money is a resource. Money is a tool. Very simply, money takes on the characteristics of its handler. Having more or less money does not change who you are. It just makes it more clear who you are. You know what I mean? So money simply takes on the characteristics of its handler. Jesus is talking about mammon for a specific purpose. Mammon here is money personified as a demonic spirit. Can we, can we make it any more plain this morning? Mammon is a demonic spirit that wants your worship. And Jesus used the word mammon on purpose because, as I said, he's preaching in Aramaic here. But in this time and in this era, he was preaching within earshot of people who would have been Chaldeans. And during this time, Chaldeans actually served a false god that was the god of riches that went by the name, can you guess it? Mammon. And so you think about how Jesus would have been preaching in such a way that was extremely controversial to people that were in the room, although he was outside, that would have been Chaldeans serving a false god. He said, do not worship mammon, this false god personified. 
Do not worship mammon. You must worship God. And it's impossible for you to worship mammon and worship God at the same time. So my sermon here, Jesus uh, saying this, my sermon here is a bit of an ultimatum, right? You have to choose. You don't get to worship this false God and worship me at the same time. Either you're going to love one and hate the other, right? You, you literally have to pick who are you going to serve? As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord, right? So he's saying, you got to pick, choose this day. Are you going to worship this false God uh, named Mammon that is personified by the extreme love of money to an unhealthy place? Or are you going to worship God, your creator? Are you going to worship Yahweh? Are you going to serve Jesus? We get to pick. This is something that each and every one of us get to do today, just like Jesus's audience got to do then. And he, he's very, very uh, intentional about using this, this word mammon because mammon is not just the resource of money. Mammon is a demonic spirit that wants to take the place of God and receive worship. So we don't want to worship mammon, amen? We want to worship God. Amen. Amen. But how are we supposed to stay focused on God while we live in a culture that is so confused about money? I mean, if, if we're just if we're really honest. Right. I mean, this 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 message, we think about mammon. We're like, that's no problem. I don't worship idols, you know, because we don't we don't think about it like, a, you know, a demonic statue or something like that. But for many of us, nobody in the 930, mostly the 1130 this afternoon, but for many of us, we have an idol. It's not that we bow down to it in our closets at home, but it literally runs our life through our pocketbook, right? You know, uh, my pastor used to say the most sensitive nerve in a man's body runs right through his wallet. I think that's true, you know? But an idol is anything that you have to consult with before you say yes to God. So when God asks you to do something, do you look at your bank account or do you hit your knees in prayer? That's what Jesus is addressing when he's talking about mammon, right? So the reason I've chosen this sermon title, Straight and Narrow Stewardship, is because of an illustration I would like to give to you. So I want you to show that picture. It's of a road. All right. It's a it's a street. So how many of you guys have heard about this or have seen these pictures before? This is a road called Old Youngest Road. And it's actually I know it's a weird name. Uh, perhaps it sounds different and more beautiful in Spanish because it is in Bolivia. OK, but this is the most dangerous road on planet Earth. OK, so the locals here refer to it as the death road. They just call it that, the death road. So how many of you guys are ready to sign up to take a trip on Old Youngest Road, right? You can actually bike. I found some videos on YouTube. You can go and you can bike. But I would encourage you this afternoon, YouTube this. You know how you watch some videos, you like you sweat? This is one of those videos, okay? Watching people in tour buses or, you know, dump trucks go around Old Youngest Road. It's, it's incredibly spooky. It's like, why would you do that? Throughout the entire stretch of this road, there are no guardrails at all. None. Uh, if you fall, in most places you fall, not hundreds of feet, thousands of feet. So if you fall, guaranteed death. There is no, no one lives through the fall, right? 
So on average per year, about 200 people die on this road. Yeah. I know you guys are getting a lot out of this illustration here. So this is actually one of those bike tours. So if you want to go on Old Youngest Road in Bolivia, you can actually do this, okay? You can pay some money to risk your life, all right? I don't know if that's good stewardship, but... But um, the thing interesting about Old Youngest Road is that there are certain places where you, you don't just fall off one side. There are certain places where you can literally fall off either side. It's true. It is true. Why would anybody drive this road? Right? It's crazy. I know some people are like sweating right now. Like, why would you do this? But the reason why I'm giving you this illustration is because I would like to highlight the severity of your stewardship. Because I'm pointing at the road as being the straight and narrow road of healthy, safe, biblical stewardship. Now, on each side, there is a ditch. On each side, there is a cliff. And the enemy does not care which side you fall off on. All he wants to make sure is that you die a death that does not allow you to steward your money in a healthy, safe, biblical way. The enemy doesn't care, you know, which one you fall off, just that you fall off, right? And uh, if the road is healthy, safe, biblical stewardship, then the cliffs, I'm going to give them names, okay? One is a mindset called the poverty mindset. All right? The other cliff is called the prosperity materialism mindset. So if we're going to be straight and narrow stewards, we're going to have to be mindful of these two mindsets so that we don't fall off and into them and perish. Now, the good news is if you've fallen into one of them today, your fall is not fatal. All right. Thank God for grace that grace has protected, you know, we're some nets. All right. in, in our life with God, praise the Lord, you know. But your fall isn't fatal. You can get back up today and you can get back on the straight and narrow road to healthy, safe, biblical stewardship. Now, I would say, guys, I have honestly fallen into both of them in my lifetime. If I'm being honest, uh, both the poverty mindset, uh, this could be influences, things uh, I learned, you learned uh, in your home growing up from your parents, your grandparents, your family line or from Uh, teachers or preachers or coaches, uh, as well as the other side, the prosperity mindset. I mean, we think of this today as being like the prosperity gospel, stuff that we hear, you know, on television, which which is essentially like the more wealthy you are, then that means the more anointed you are. If you're super rich, then God has a high value for your life. You guys have heard this, right? Yeah. So you can fall off of one or the other. I've personally fallen off both at some point in time in my life. I'm just being real, but here's what I believe. Sometimes we need to go to the extremes of a topic to find balance. It just That's just the way it goes sometimes, right? So some of us are just one good mistake away from a breakthrough. Just think about that for a minute. So first thing I want to look at is I want to look at side A, and then we'll look at side B. Side A is the poverty mindset, okay? The poverty mindset. Uh, how many of you have heard of a vow of poverty before? Yes. Right? We've all heard it. It's kind of a popular thing. Believe it or not, a poverty vow has been around since the beginning of Christianity. Yep. Um, we, we, we've seen it for hundreds, thousands of years. 
And I do believe that God does call some people to give away everything and live for him and him alone. And their lifestyle may not look like much money or materialism to the exterior, but on the interior, they're very wealthy because of their obedience to Jesus. I'm only getting amens from the front row here, but do you guys, do you guys agree with this? I, I, okay, biblical example, the rich young ruler, right? The rich young ruler came to Jesus. He said, what do I have to do, right? Jesus says, I want you to sell everything. I mean, I want you to empty out your 401k. I want you to empty out your life savings. I want you to take your checking account, give it away to the poor. I want you to clear out all of that furniture that you just put in your brand new house. And then when it's all empty, I want you to sign away the deed of the house that you just paid for and give it to the poor. How many of you guys would like, you know, to hear that from the Lord, <laughs> right? You know, that would be a pretty hard thing to do, but God asked some people to do that. If you agree, just say amen. It's true. God will ask certain people to give everything away, walk away from it all, and just, and just live for him in that way. And that's kind of where we get this poverty vow, but due to this story, and then also due to a popular misquotation, which is the love of money is the root of all evil. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah. That's actually not in the Bible, you know, or excuse me, the money, money is the root of all evil. In the Bible, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. Did I make that clear? I messed up there, but I I covered it, right? I got grace too. There's nets to my pitfalls as well, right? The common misquotation, which is that money is the root of all evil. The Bible actually says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And so we, we, we hear these things, we're, we're grasping for understanding. And so many Christians, uh, it may not be anybody in here, you may have never heard this before, I grew up hearing this, literally believe that they can earn points with God by being poor. And, and I mean, it, I, hear, I hear you guys like, what? Wow, I can't believe that. There's actually a lot of Christians that believe this, and I can confirm this is true because I was once a missionary. And unfortunately, when I lived over in the East, uh, I oftentimes was surrounded by other missionaries from the West who judged, were super judgmental towards the church in America because of everything that they had, you know? And so even though they didn't realize it, I believe they were embracing a measure of the poverty mindset, right? Because people affected affected by this get real judgy towards wealthy people. Just let that sit there for a second, right? So um, this in in church history is called aestheticism. So it's a real thing. The church has been practicing it for thousands of years. How many of you guys have ever heard of St. Francis? Look, I'm not coming for St. Frank today, all right? That's my G, okay? I like St. Francis a lot. But the one thing I disagree with St. Francis on is that he actually taught that poverty was a virtue. He taught that. And I can, I can understand why he got there. Honestly, I can. I was a missionary once. Materialism is a distraction, right? So there's something beautiful about season of lack because you don't have anything to distract you from the face of Jesus. And anybody who's ever lived off ramen noodles can give me a good amen right now. You know, it's like, yes, praise God. I didn't have no entertainment. I couldn't even afford a Hulu pr- subscription. So I just worshiped. You know what I mean? Praise God for those seasons. You know what I mean? Those are great seasons. But when you start, when you start adopting that as like, this is law, this is my religion. Like I got to live in lack so that I can stay focused. You know, you're outsourcing your discipline to being in poverty versus being in love and serving God from that place. 
and allowing him to bless you so that you can bless other people. Am I making sense to you this morning? And so, you know, St. Francis preached this, and I don't think he was a heretic or anything like that. I'm, I believe we, we're going to get to hang out in heaven, okay? But around the same time, there was um, a heresy that, that popped up. You guys will remember it, I'm sure, Gnosticism, right? And so a lot of people who began to embrace this idea who were Christians, that poverty is a virtue, eventually became Gnostics. And one of the core tenets of Gnosticism is that all matter is evil. That's what they believe. All matter is evil, which eventually led them to deny that Jesus could be God because if all matter was evil, there was no way that Jesus could be completely God and completely man. You guys following me? And so a lot of people, whether they recognize it or not, enter into this slippery slope of, you know, poverty is a virtue. And eventually for a lot of folks throughout church history, it's eventually devolved into full-blown Gnosticism where everything is evil, and they start living in such a way where they are afraid of money, they are afraid of material possessions, and it's not the money itself they're afraid of, but they're afraid of being corrupted by it. Wow. You guys get what I'm saying? Yeah. You guys with me? Yeah. So, but a lot of Christians live this way. You may not think, you know, if you're in here today, I'm, I'm not trying to call you out or anything, right? But some of us are literally afraid of having money because we're afraid it'll corrupt us. Wow. I'm afraid to have any material possessions because I'm afraid that it will corrupt me, right? And so we become uh, fearful of this stuff and then we demonize money and we demonize possessions. Then we get real judgy about people who have them as if they are somehow a substandard set of kingdom citizens because they're rich. Is this, are you, am I learning you anything this morning? Right. So uh, believe it or not, Martin Luther, he actually embraced St. Francis's mindset for quite some time. But he claims that the Holy Spirit touched his heart and delivered him from some of these ideas. I want to read a quote uh, from Martin Luther. He says, if silver and gold are things evil in themselves, then those who keep away from them deserve to be praised. But if they are good creature, uh, good creatures for God, which we can use both for the needs of our neighbor and for the glory of God, is not a person silly. Yes, even unthankful to God if he refrains from them as though they were evil. Wow. Wow. Right? Uh, we also hear things. And listen, guys, I, I grew up grew up in God learning this. Blessed are the poor, right? Yeah. The Bible says blessed are the poor in spirit. But sometimes when we get confused about these things, we look at folks that are poor and we say all poor people are virtuous. Mm. That's not true. The Bible does not teach that just because somebody is poor does not automatically make them virtuous. Right. Poor people can be virtuous. Rich people can be virtuous. All people can be virtuous as a result of Jesus. But it is a really, really big reach to believe that there is a higher level of human dignity and value that only poor people can possess. That's anti-biblical, and Jesus never taught that. But this is exactly what religious aestheticism teaches. Right? Are you, are you guys are, serious? Are you guys learning something today? Because I, I wanted to give you this chunk of church history and, and these philosophies because I want you to learn something about this because we could be affected by a, a centuries-old philosophy called religious aestheticism, right? But we want to be affected right now, right here, by the voice of Jesus and the Word of God. Amen? Amen. So you can, you know, the, the religious aestheticism basically claims that you earn points from God by not having anything. 
and uh, and then also says that you you can earn you obtain points from God by not having anything. Inversely, you lose points from God by having things. Wow. That's what religious aestheticism says. And so some people, I do believe this with all my heart, guys. I do believe it. Some people, like the rich young ruler, are going to be called to sell it all. But not everybody is supposed to sell it all. Some of you guys right now are like, oh, thank God. Praise God. That ain't me, Lord. It's not me, Lord. It might be you. And when that time comes, I pray that you are faithful and courageous enough to do what God has asked you to do. There has been times in my life where I've emptied out my bank account and given it away. And let me tell you something. I can testify to the fact I've never regretted it. Never once. I've never once regretted that. Consider uh, Nicodemus as well as Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. Both of them were historically and biblically notably wealthy. And Jesus said nothing to them about their money when they came to have a chat. Okay, so it's it's situational. It's individual. God asks certain people to do things. He doesn't ask other people to do. Why? Because he doesn't care about your money. He cares about your heart. So Jesus understands like God is not into stuff. God is into people. (laughs) Right. And so he knows what what word that we need as we approach him. And he knows how to identify idols in our heart and cast them out so well. If we'll be obedient. So let me give you a few symptoms of a poverty mindset. Now, I've, what I've done here is I've included some phrases that the poverty mindset says. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting on to you. If you've said these things, I'm just saying be free today in Jesus name. So look at your neighbor, say be free. Okay, here's number one. Money and material possessions come from the devil. All right. So I'm going to start with the most extreme, but some of y'all's grannies. You know, they've said this, right? You know, that it's true. Money, let's clear it up. Money does not come from the devil. We've already talked about this. Money is neutral. All right? Money takes on the characteristics of the person that handles it. That's it. All right? In the hands of God's children, somebody practicing straight and narrow stewardship, operating as a faithful steward, then that means that wealth and resources then become assets to be deployed in the kingdom of God. So let's dispel this. Money and material possessions do not come from the devil. They're just neutral. But children of God can use them as good stewards to advance the kingdom of Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, point two, or, 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 or saying number two. I should be ashamed of my money and possessions. Now, I don't think that many of you guys will be like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's totally me, you know? Because I don't think many... Listen, I don't think many believers have been convinced by the spirit of poverty enough to sell everything and join a monastery, but I think they have been convinced by the spirit of poverty enough that they have to be ashamed about when good things come their way, right? You know, how about this? Hey, congrats on your promotion at work. That's a big pay pay raise. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's a spiritual way that we sort of we're ashamed of the good thing that's come our way. And so we, we uh, dress it up with religious lipstick. Or, oh, praise God. Yeah. You ever you ever compliment? Man, you, you say, man, good job. You led worship so good today. All glory to God. Amen. Yeah. Wow. I'm not saying we mean anything bad by it, but sometimes we just need to say, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, got a, I got a promotion. Praise God. Amen. Yes, I am thankful to God. But thank you for that. You know, not trying to brush it aside, really, because we're guilty. And let me ask you that question. Do you feel guilty when you get blessed? That's the spirit of poverty working in your life. Do you feel like you can't be honest 
whenever you get blessed. That's the spirit of poverty working in your life, which is going to lead me to phrase number three. Uh, it was on sale, discounted or gifted. I don't really deserve this. <laughs> All right. When somebody compliments something that you're wearing, do you instantly feel the need to downplay the cost of the item? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, you know, honestly, this was on sale, man. I got it on the sale rack, TJ Maxx, bro, you know. And you know good and well you paid full price at Nordstrom, you know. And it's like, but you're trying, because you're like, man, I don't want to like, I don't want to hurt your feelings or make you think anything. No, just be honest. I'm blessed. I'm not lucky. I'm a Christian. I get blessed. My father has provided me with with, with all things to enjoy. And because I'm obedient to him and I'm a good steward according to his word, then I've, I've, I've been afforded the opportunity to buy this new $100 polo or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's be honest. The reality is we are all rich by worldwide standards. All right? We're all, everybody in here is rich. Trust me, it smells nice in here. Like, I smell your colognes and fragrances. All of your shoes are pretty tidy, right? We are rich by global standards, all right? We all have a reason to be thankful, so don't slip into the spirit of poverty and feel like you need to constantly make excuses for the things that you have. Here's the, here's the next phrase. I didn't need this. I only bought this because. So you're in a car, right? You, you, you're, you just bought a new car. Somebody jumps in this. Man, this is a nice car, and they know you're a pastor, well, I only bought this because, you know, sometimes we have guests in town and I have to shuttle them and I want to make sure that they're, just say thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. I really enjoy this car myself. You know, don't let the spirit of poverty do it. No, no let me make some excuses, you know, cause I don't want to, I don't want people to think, dang, it's quiet in here. It's funny how everybody wants to be rich, but you don't want your pastor to be rich. So interesting, isn't it? It's funny how everybody wants to be famous, but nobody wants your pastor to be famous. It's interesting, man. I don't know. It's, interesting. Oh, it's just interesting. I just noticed that in our culture. You know what I mean? But here's reality. Here's reality. God is a God of growth and increase. He is. Some days he asks you to sell everything. Other days he takes your little bit of nothing, your little Long John Silver's kids meal and feeds 5,000 people with it, right? God is a God that can multiply food. He can raise the dead. He can call Lazarus out of the tomb. He can multiply without problem. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can sell some of them and pay your bills with it if you need it, you know? God is well able to accomplish these things. He is a God of growth and increase, and he expects us to be good stewards. And when we do well and multiply and do things God's way and practice biblical principles for our finances, things naturally grow. Am I still helping you? All right, now let me throw this in there before we go to materialism. Simplification is not a spirit of poverty, all right? Many of us in this room need to simplify. You need to get rid of some stuff. You need to sell some things on Facebook Marketplace. You need to give some things away to people you know who are less fortunate than yourself. You need to give in the offering. You need to tithe. You need to give. We need to get rid of some things. We need to fast some material attachments 
every now and then, right? We need to let go of some luxury items when they have a place in our life, when it's no longer fruitful and becomes idolatry. Listen, if you today are in crazy, unhealthy debt, this word is for you. You need to simplify. If you are living well beyond your means, you need to simplify. Maybe it's time to cancel that Hulu membership. Maybe it's time to, to you know, take three months off of Netflix. Maybe you can find a cheaper gym. Dang, I'm meddling today. This is like, it's just too practical. People are like, just stop, all right? Just preach. Just give me the points, you know? <laughs> Look, God cares about your financial well-being. And God wants you to be healthy, right? And, and how many of us are trying to stunt? I don't know if you know what that word means anymore. That's kind of an old school. Uh, if you're trying to look good, right? Then we might need to repent and get rid of some things that are causing stress in our lives, right? Simplification is not a spirit of poverty. Now, let me move on to the other side B cliff. And I'm going to move quick, okay? I'll move quick. The prosperity materialism mindset. So what the prosperity materialism mindset does is it takes a good thing from God and turns it into the ultimate thing of life. And that becomes, that becomes the goal. That becomes the bullseye. That becomes the destination. A materialistic mindset constantly says this, I need more. How much do you need? More. No, no, a specific number. It's more. Doesn't matter how much I make, it's always more. I need to accumulate as much as possible. How many of you guys have ever hold, heard this old school phrase? He who dies with the most toys wins, right? Yeah. Uh, new school phrase, YOLO. It's all similar. It's all locked in. I got to have more. I got to do more. I got to be more. I got to floss more. I got to have more. Yeah. It's kind of like stunting. Sorry, I'm giving you guys words you're not familiar with. Blame Kentucky. So even if you have a lot, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be happy. John Rockefeller, uh, richest guy in his generation, said, I have made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Just because you get more doesn't mean you're going to be more fulfilled. And you wouldn't notice this at first glance, but a materialistic mindset is actually a mirror image of the poverty mindset. Because a poverty mindset says that money comes from the devil. A materialistic mindset says that money comes from me. Right? I am responsible for everything. I've earned this. I'm a self-made person. I am all sufficient and I don't need anybody because I got this thing. I'm an independent woman. I make my own cash. Don't need no man. You need Jesus. You, you need Jesus. So don't believe that mess because it's not true. You're, you're not all sufficient within your own strength. There's going to be days where you need Jesus, and that's every single day that you're dependent upon God. Amen? But this all self-sufficiency idea has made its way even into the body of Christ. And really, it comes from a materialistic mindset, which is a, a pitfall. Uh, where a poverty mindset says, be ashamed... A, a, a materialistic mindset says, show it off. Show it off. And we got plenty of this happening in our culture today. I mean, how much more expensive could they make an item of supreme clothing? All right. That's why we got so many people ordering it from China. Right. It's like, but it's a materialistic mindset. 
How many fake Yeezys are walking around Nashville? Not that many more because they've all fallen apart, praise God. So now you know the people with the real ones, they're still together. But so there's a rabbit trail because I like fashion. But, you know, like we have this pressure, right? And so we're trying to figure out how to look good in front of other people, have what other people have and take pride in it and show it off. A, a, a poverty mindset says, make people think you paid less. A materialism mindset says, make people think you paid more. You know you ordered them from China, but yeah, they're real. They cost 750 Dang. Does somebody say, bruh? <laughs> Mark 4 and 19. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Isn't that a powerful verse of scripture? Here's the thing, guys. When you embrace materialism and you live for money, you are deceived. That's what the word of God says very plainly. You are deceived. If you're living for money, you're deceived. If you're living for cars, clothes, houses, fat 401ks, you are deceived. I don't know how to make it any more clear. The word of God makes it clear. We're deceived. And what does what do deceitful things do? They lie to us. That's the essence of deceit. It lies to us and it tells us, hey, this is this is the end all be all. If you do this, you'll have this. A materialism mindset lies to us and says these things. Significance and security comes from money and having nice things. Once you once you get a nicer car, then, you know, you'll be significant. Once you have more followers, you'll be significant. If I had more money, I'd finally be happy. That's a materialistic mindset. It's the influence of a materialistic mindset. I'm falling behind. Others have so much more than me. More money would solve all of my problems. These are all influences of culture and the materialistic mindset, not the word of God. The fuel of materialism is I need more. I deserve more. I'm incomplete until I have more. I'd be so much happier if I just had more. Right? This is so, even when we don't notice it, we get hit by it like this right here. Oh, I need more. Oh, man, look at that vacation they went on. I can't, I'm, I'm terrible. I got to get a new job. I can't afford to go there. They probably couldn't either. They probably put it on a credit card. They're probably in crazy debt. Like, seriously, man. <laughs> we got to get free of that stuff. You know why? So that we can have impact. So that we can honor God with our finances. So that we can worship him through our, through our resources. And so that we can leave the world a better place for our kids, 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 so that we can have a legacy, so that we can shake nations, so that we can write history, so that we can feed the poor, so that we can rescue women from human trafficking, so that we can change the world. And it's really hard to do those things with your money if you don't have any to give. Some people are like, man, I want to rescue kids from human trafficking. But, you know, I'm just swiping the credit card, man. Like, you guys get the connection? You sure? All right, I got to close. So I want to say this. Stay on, stay on the road and out of the ditches. Materialism always attaches your self-worth to your net worth. That's what it does every time. Let me give you a few more things about materialism. I'll make my last point. We'll be finished. So here's what I've noticed. This is just some personal observations. Very, this is very sincere, real on my heart. 
Here's what materialism does. This is what I've noticed. It stunts and destroys your spiritual life. You can almost mark the place on the calendar when somebody embraced a materialistic mindset as a Christian because they stopped growing spiritually. You guys hear what I'm saying? They, they stop bearing fruit. They still go to church. They still, come, they still come and sit. They still do everything. As, they may still worship in the front and everything, but they don't bear any fruit spiritually anymore. They stop growing spiritually. And if you talk to them five years from now, they're still talking about the same stuff spiritually, same principles, same sermons. So, you know, it's just, they got stuck right there because they stopped serving God. They started serving money. And when you embrace materialism, here's what happens. You stop bearing fruit spiritually. That's what happens. This is just some observations, all right? Materialism takes our focus away from God, puts it on objects. Instead of fulfillment, we get futility. Materialism leaves us miserable, alienated from others, and separated from God and alone in every way. Here's the other thing I've noticed about materialism. Materialism isolates. You ever notice that? In a, just a short season of your life, you're like, I'm going to live for money. I'm an adult. You know, we, we dress it up. We got, a, we got these words, right? I'm an I'm adult. I'm going to get out of debt. You know, financial peace, and that's good. You should do that. But sometimes even, even not, not saying anything bad about Dave Ramsey or that program. I did that program. You should do that program. I'm saying that sometimes we, we in our heart, we, we start to focus the bullseye, the destination becomes money. And what happens is we get isolated. We lose all of our community. We lose all of our friends. We lose all of our church friends. Like we get isolated. Have you guys noticed this as well? And people try to dress it up online, but on their heart, they're lonely. Because, because money is not there when you need it to be. To affirm who you are in Christ to speak life over your identity, to comfort you when you're wounded. Only community can do those things. Money can't do those things. So how do we live on the straight and the narrow? The key to driving stewardship road is based upon your decision to make Jesus your destination. Let me say this again. The key to that straight and narrow stewardship. It's a very simple, it's a very simple how-to to get today, guys. The key to that, staying on that road is deciding what your destination is going to be. And if your destination is anything but Jesus, you're in danger of falling off one side or the other. If your destination is a position, if your destination is an income bracket, if your destination is a house at the beach, if your destination is anything other than Jesus, if your destination is a follower count, if your destination, I mean, let's make it real. We're in Nashville. If your destination is album sales, if your destination is billboard hits, if your destination is movie placements, whatever it is, man, I'm, when I get there, when I get right there, then I'm going to be, you're in danger of falling off one pit or the other. So the, the key here to just kicking this idol out of your life is to make Jesus the destination. Make up in your mind today, church. I don't drive towards money, nor do I drive away from money. I drive towards Jesus. I'm not moving towards money. I'm not moving away from money. I'm moving towards Jesus. Money doesn't have that kind of control on me. Either way is a terrible emphasis on money. All right, I'm going to read a couple of quotes. We're going to pray. If the worship team wants to come... I just thought it would be great for us to 
finish standing victorious over these mindsets and these influences in our lives. Are you guys ready for that? So I I read a quote uh, from David Livingstone this week. He was actually a famous missionary to Africa. Here was something he said. I place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything will advance the interest of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept. Only as by giving it or keeping it, I shall most promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time or eternity. Isn't that such a good statement? That's a missionary saying that. Money is a resource that contributes to your purpose. It is not your purpose. Amen. All right, let's stand. We're going to pray together. They're going to sing us out. As, as you guys are standing, I want to make you aware of something. Today, um, this has got financial implications. It's pretty awesome. So I want to announce to you guys, because of your generosity and because of our church, church's stewardship, uh, we are closing on Tuesday on our new church building. So... Everything's all set up. Uh, We're closing on Tuesday. That means next Sunday, we're going to have the keys. We can all take turns holding them if you want. We're going to run around. (laughs) Um, But today, after the second service at 1.15, if you want to go grab lunch and come back, we're actually going to meet over at the new church. We're not going to go inside. We don't have the keys yet. But we are just going to lay hands on the building we're going to stand in the parking lot and we're, it's only 15 minutes. All right. For those of you guys that are like, I don't want to be there all day. All right. You don't have to be. All right. You can come over 115. We're just going to prayer walk the outside and we're just going to pray and declare God's blessings over this facility. Okay. So it's at 901 Delbrook Lane. If you know where Jenny's ice cream is, you can find it and everybody knows where that is. So just keep going straight. Don't turn left on Porter. Just keep going straight about a mile down the road on your left. 901 Delbrook Lane. It's also on our, our social media if you need to look it up. 901 Delbrook Lane for 15 minutes. We're just going to pray. If you can't come, it's okay. No problem. Don't worry about it. But if you can come out, we're just going to pray over the place and we're just going to make some declarations together as a family. 901 Delbrook. All right. I got one prayer for you guys as we're closing. Awesome. I put God first in all that I do. He loves me and has redeemed me. I gratefully receive all that he puts into my hand. I steward faithfully what he has entrusted to me. I hold his blessings with an open hand, prepared to give or distribute as he directs, never forgetting that they are his and that I am his. In Jesus' name, and everyone said...